Continued interviews from Studio HFL are made possible through the support of Messina Covers, Eastman Music Company, Pickett Blackburn, S.E. Shires, and through the generosity of Patreon subscribers. Trumpet players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other brass instrumentalists. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to crazy color schemes. Let's not forget about options for mouthpiece pouches, or pretty much anything you'd want to keep protected in a custom case. Check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company and S.E. Shires. Eastman offers a complete line of brass instruments, from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And you know they're invested in creating a quality product when the legendary Doc Severinsen helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find more information about the Eastman Music Company at EastmanWinds.com and you can learn more about the S.E. Shires line of instruments at SEShires.com. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance to try any mouthpieces available through Pickett, you can check them out online at PicketBlackburn.com. And on the Blackburn side of Pickett Blackburn, it would be worth your while to check out their incredible line of trumpets endorsed by such great musicians as Vince DiMartino. Be sure to check them out at PicketBlackburn.com, and that's Pickett with two T's. And before today's interview, just a reminder that you too can be a financial supporter for this podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash studiohfl. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash studiohfl. There are four tiers of support, and you can choose the one that best fits your budget. Your support will help offset the cost of production for this podcast and would be greatly appreciated please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studiohfl. And now, on to today's interview with your host, Larry Powell. May I call you Carol? Yes, you may. Yes. Well, may terrific. You, Larry? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. I have to tell you, it is a pleasure to meet you, even this distance, almost halfway, halfway across the, the world. But uh, <laughs> when I saw that I had an opportunity to talk to you, I was thrilled. I think I got as excited as I, I had ever been excited to talk to anyone because when I started playing trumpet back in 1978, your face and your trumpet were the first one I had seen. I, and I can't remember if it was a magazine ad. Yes, yes, I think that was it. That was it. And I tell you what, it brought back such memories and I thought, oh my goodness, I get to talk to the first trumpet face I had ever seen and recognized. I'm really glad. Uh, that I'm you... a little older since then. but Well, I have too. And hopefully a little wiser. Uh, so. <laughs> well, that's well, a good question. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing these days? I know these are interesting times for everybody, but what are you doing to navigate through all of this? Right now, we've moved down from Vienna into the mountains of Austria, which you can see the tops of the mountains behind mm -hmm. reflected from <laughs> yeah. where it's a little cooler than in the city. But I'm still uh, teaching. I have three wonderful girl players, mm -hmm. one in Thailand, one in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and one in, also in the area here, southern Austria. So mm -hmm. I'm teaching online mm -hmm. and I've been enjoying really twice a week, two hour lessons with each of them and, mm -hmm. and their progress is really exciting. And mm -hmm. so that, that gives me something to practice for on my own so that I can still show a little bit, whatever, <laughs> try to show the difference, how I want them to play or how I want them to play. Yeah. Maybe no. getting informed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So if you're teaching in Winnipeg and did you say Thailand? Thailand, yes. Then online has been something you've been doing for a while. No, I just started in this COVID time. Oh, okay. So they had been students there in Austria? I had met them, uh, the girl in Winnipeg. I'd met at the International Women's Press Conference in Phoenix. And she and a girlfriend came to uh, Vienna to see me at uh, Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we kept in touch. And then once they were all out of school and... I offered to 
help them out to bridge the time until mm -hmm. their school starts. But I think probably I'll continue with most of them. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're lovely girls, all three of them, and, mm -hmm. and uh, are in contact with one another, mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so they're sending tapes back and forth or videos mm -hmm. playing and how they're doing it. And, so I'm, I'm really enjoying that. That's a new line for me, that mm -hmm. type of thing. So. Yeah. New for all of us and still trying to improve the quality on both ends. I'm trying to improve my ability to teach remotely mm -hmm. and trying to encourage my students to get better equipment. <laughs> so <Yes>. I can, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of the microphones are not the best. But, oh, yeah. But uh, I hear enough to be able to correct them. And, and it does help that I, I've had personal contact because in, like in Thailand at the university there, We've had a connection from our university in Vienna, and I've been going out there for about 10 years, and I have worked with her personally. So when I say something, she she can understand it, and mm -hmm. even though the English isn't very good yet, but mm -hmm. <laughs> we're working on it. But of course, with the one in Winnipeg, that English is no problem, and the girl here sure. is excellent yeah. German. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of girl trumpet players, of course, I, I want to get to how you how you broke through, you can say glass ceiling, the significance of what you've done. But I will say, having people like Tina Helseth, Allison Balsam, Kiku Collins, Mary Elizabeth Bowden, Matilda Lloyd, so many fantastic female trumpet players. As soon as they started coming onto the scene, my studio, which I had, it was about half girls. It's I could point them to somebody other than and great players, Ronnie Rom and Bazuti. But it's now I have material I can send them and say, "Look, the and do you see what I mean? It's not just old white guys anymore that I point them to. It's it's spectacular. And I th and I'm, by the way, I'm interviewing Tina later this later today. Later today. Yeah, and right after yours. But yeah, and it's just nice to have that variety, that diversity. And I think my students, of course, enjoy being able to watch and listen uh, to them. The only video I found so far of you was on the game show. Oh. To tell the truth. Thank you. There is and I, Herman Fry with the opera singer, Herman Fry. Oh, I'll have to, I'll, but, I'll find that one. Uh, I but, have, I have quite a few, but I, I, I don't know with about the rights and things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, I feel like I can't really just put them out and without the, the permission of radio television station. Oh, right. right. But, but I've worked on, we've revised all advertising, revised the book about me. <laughs> It's available at the International Women's Fest Conference that you can purchase. And there's a new CD that I actually I recorded mostly in the 70s. Mm -hmm. No, it was in 71 I recorded it and in Berlin. And it's got things that were never, how would you say, put on a record before. Mm -hmm. it was actually, it was mainly a, like an introduction, what I can play that was mm -hmm. around. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And now it's become a CD with a nice concerto by Fried Blodzer with the radio stations in uh, Kaiserslautern. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, uh, that was redoing that book last mm -hmm. year was one of my projects to get uh, to update and, and what I've been doing since then. But anyway, uh, I'm donating it to the International Women's Brass Company. Oh, very nice. So. Uh, it is it an autobiography or is it a different style of book? It's both. Because once I started traveling around Europe a lot, I was playing about 125 concerts, solo concerts a year with symphony mm -hmm. orchestras mainly, a few chamber orchestras. But I was traveling on the train a lot from Berlin to <laughs> wherever, to Holland even. And I would just write down things for myself to, so that I would remember. And then uh, two women from the university I asked if they could write the biography, and their their side of it was the woman's side, the um, social status mm -hmm. of women, or the the uh, problems of being a woman in such a men dominated field. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and so it's got a combination of well, historical things, uh, also 
amazing things that I didn't know. Actually, in Vienna, there was a woman in, I think, about 1772 who played one time at court and got paid for it, played trumpet. But and her name was Johanna Hofer. But how she ever learned to play the trumpet <laughs> had the opportunity with all the mandates mm -hmm. that, uh, and the restrictions right. on, on even learning the trumpet in those days. But, but I haven't found out any information about that yet. But, mm -hmm. That's fascinating. How did you even find that little snippet of information? How did you hear about her? It's in my dissertation. <laughs> got my doctorate in 2009. It's been a few years. So, uh, mm -hmm. oh, the, the, the trumpeter who was in, I can't come up with his name, but it, it was mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I think eventually it showed up in an IWBC journal mm -hmm. or a newsletter. Mm -hmm. I've forgotten how, um, yeah, but they, they're not easy things to find out. And even during my dissertation on women brass players, that was, uh, you, just, you have a 400-page book, and then you'd find <laughs> one sentence about a, an orchestra, women's orchestra oh, right. in uh, <laughs> Italy where they had some back books or whatever, cornettos. But even in North of Austria and the Bohemia, there were nuns that also played brass instruments. That, that was in, in the 18th century, 19th century. I'm just visualizing a nun in their habit. Right. <laughs> Playing a natural trumpet or cornetto. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. Sad's also his niece and I think an aunt were nuns. Mm -hmm. um, there and I guess I, I think he wrote a lot of music for the, the um, even the street there is Nonental is Nuns Nun Valley but the music for the nuns because of course they didn't have any music without the men and so mm -hmm. they had to learn themselves mm -hmm. and uh, I know one in Brun in Czechoslovakia now the Czech Republic said. Mm -hmm. Uh, she was sure it ruined her health to be playing both yeah. the cornetto and the toilet trombone, basically. Mm -hmm. She played both instruments. And yeah. That blowing <laughs> wasn't healthy for her. I might say, I, I think maybe some people would argue that your mental health is more affected by playing a trumpet than your physical health. Well, that, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> A uh, quick left turn for a second. We lived in Germany from 1970 to 74. My dad was in the Air Force and we were stationed over there. And I remember going to Salzburg. I don't know if it's in Salzburg, but there were salt mines. Yes. And I remember getting on a tiny little train and going through, taking a tour. Do you know if that, does this, something like that still exist? Are there? Oh, yes, yes. Oh. That, that still exists. It's I think those are by Halein, which is near Salzburg. Okay. okay. Uh, that's, uh, that's still there. The ice cave, ice giant caves are still there too. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a very important area for economically with the salt. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and mm -hmm. was the ice caves were, but for keeping things cool. <laughs> mm -hmm, sure. I, I just, I was so young. I don't remember a whole lot. But I do remember how beautiful the country was. Okay, I want to take a right turn back. <laughs> I, I steered us away from the book. Now I'm curious about the CD that you mentioned. You said you recorded it, those tunes originally in, was it 1971? Yes, that's correct. How did you pick those pieces or did you have someone say, I bring them to you and say, I would like you to record them? No, <laughs> I didn't. I chose them myself. I was doing a lot of clinics with Getson, a lot of Carnival of Venice, Napoli, Danza Allegra, Fighter Song, doing these things. And I had never recorded them. So those works are on this recording. And also doing so much when I was working at Radio City Music Hall in New York. I had some fabulous colleagues and we were doing a lot of um, jazz ballet. And, and I never improvised, but I could play in the sections mm -hmm. or whatever. But so I wanted something maybe more for television or something a little more commercial. I had done more and the Spanish flea, nice arrangement that mm -hmm. had been done for the Radio City. 
And so I had a colleague who, I met a girl by Joe Stein, and, and uh, the other one where I met Special Face from Kiss Me Kate, which mm-hmm. was a favorite of mine. And my colleague in the trumpet section, Norman Beatty, did the arrangements for that. Mm-hmm. So it's really got a variety. Another, our first trumpeter at Radio City, Bob Roberts, Wilfred Roberts, had an original, he used a serenade for trumpet that mm-hmm. I also recorded on this piece. Mm-hmm. But it was such a conglomeration of pieces that we did send it to, at that time it was Caldeck or Decca Records. Mm-hmm. And they had just signed a trumpet player to do things like that. Walter Schultz was a German trumpeter and he did that type of, in that direction, not these solos. And they were more German style, but still they said, oh, if we'd known. <laughs> then basically, in the end, it just became a, okay, we send the recording. And we did send it to Deutsche Grammophon mm-hmm. and got a call back from them. And they said, we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> what else do you play? <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. And then I recorded my first uh, recording gig. Got your gramophone, which was the debut record with Monica and Phil Sonata and, and uh, but I don't know, Hindemith, I think, was, was on mm-hmm. it. All the, the standard, both the, mm-hmm. um, the standard works for mm-hmm. uh, trumpet and piano. And I think about the recording, the difference in recording from then until now, and to go in and you can record the orchestra separately and you can do however many takes you want and cut things in and out. But the process then, was it like a one take you had to do it or did they still have the ability to punch in and out different takes? It was different. Things like Bullfighter, those things I had to play. So my husband, he wasn't my husband then, he was a Mm -hmm. colleague from uh, Vienna who was in the Rias Hans Orchestra dance band at the radio station in Berlin. And he conducted the band to try to keep with me. Other things I had to do playback, then I conducted myself and, mm-hmm. and then had to play like at two o'clock in the morning with everything, with everything <laughs> gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it took a whole week of, of, of recordings and things because a lot of the things had strings, fairly large orchestra. I also recorded on that one the uh, Robert Friedman concerto. And the, uh, it was the first movement. I think he only had the first movement done then. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was doing conducting and, and playing, and then checking sound checks at three o'clock in the morning. Oh my goodness! <laughs> or it was, but I guess from the one of the hardest recordings I ever did or uh, TV shows was in Hong Kong, where I did a whole half hour show of music, and all of these cornet pieces with lots of technique and, and uh, you know showman types of things and they had no breaks everything had to go straight through it was mm-hmm. no we finished this piece then we can go right. <laughs> i did a show like that in japan but i i wasn't on stage all the time and this mm-hmm. is program in hong kong was, was only me with piano mm-hmm. and very short intervals between between recording yeah even uh, tv shows in those days were live without her mm-hmm. when i did his fanfare shows in the when was it 1965? Mm-hmm. 1965. I hadn't ever thought until you mentioned that I had never really thought about putting uh, clips on there. And I think that's a brilliant idea. If you've got something or if I can use something off of that, I don't know if I'd have to get the rights to do that, but I can look into that. As far as from this recording, I have all the rights now. Uh, Okay. All the uh, popular things were, I I had the rights to when they were recorded. Oh, terrific. Fried uh, Weiter Concerto, which is uh, a marvelous piece. I got the rights from Südwestfunk, uh, the mm-hmm. German radio station in Kaiserslautern. So, and when okay. it's illegal about everything. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then lot of things have been used about me that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. I haven't gotten paid for, but <laughs> I try yeah. to 
<laughs> do the right thing. Yeah. So you're teaching online, but you're associated with what college or university? Who are you working well, for? Well, I don't know how we say it in English. I, I'm an emeritus. Yes. From the University of Music in Vienna. And we used to be, when I studied here, it was an academy. Then it became a Hochschule, which is a higher school of mm -hmm. the conservatory. And then at some point it became a university of music. Mm -hmm. And supposedly we're the largest university of music in, in the world. I'm not sure. I've been out to China several times and their schools are quite large. So yeah. I'm not sure they might have a record. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I have had students from China and I've been out there to see there. Or I guess maybe I shouldn't mention at this time about China. but It's okay. I'm not going <laughs> to quibble over that. But. Uh, but they're working hard and with the music yeah. and trying yeah. to build good music programs and good concerts. And mm -hmm. How long have you been there? With it's not the Hoax School anymore. It's uh, the University of Music. University. Yeah. Yeah. It was let's see. They contacted me in 1983. I, I started in March of '83. Mm -hmm. They have a strange system here of you have to be called for the university or something. But normally you would start in October, that's mm -hmm. when our, our school year starts. But like on the March 6th, I got the call from Vienna saying that they okayed, they wanted me to be a professor. Mm -hmm. And then, but I should have started in the first week. Can I get there tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and and if, if it didn't, if I couldn't get there within, 10 days or so, they'd have to start the process all over again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I flew down. <laughs> In those days, flying was much easier. I don't envy Tina. I don't envy um, mm -hmm. and traveling these days because in, at that time, traveling was much easier. And of course, now with no concerts, that makes even a, a career mm -hmm. much more difficult to, right. to keep consistent and keep going. And, mm -hmm. Were you already in Europe when they called you? Yes, I was in Berlin. I, I did several things. My husband, who was in the radio station there, he arranged for some television shows, and, and he did the uh, big band arrangement of, of Del Steger's Carnival of Venice for me. Oh. And, and that's when I fell in love with my husband. <laughs> it, was so, it was so marvelous. I did my little rinky-dinky <laughs> cornet solo. <laughs> sections and and the big band the company was just fabulous mm -hmm. because uh, for uh, it was on um, one of the german quiz shows or something like that and there used to be a, a lot of music going on in german television mm -hmm. live music live shows katarina valente and mm -hmm. great stars and but yeah they thought the the Sousa band arrangement or something wasn't the right thing for, mm -hmm. for the popular television shows. So mm -hmm. uh, he arranged that for me, and that was so I ended up staying in Berlin. <laughs> that was going to be my question: is how what brought you to Berlin? And I think you just answered that question. Yeah, <laughs> when you started teaching, was it just applied trumpet, or were you also teaching some theory or history? No, only trumpet. Mm -hmm. And I was still doing over 100 concerts a year. So a couple of times I had to, oh I one of the uh, members of the, the first trumpeter in the uh, Vienna Sinfonica to, to cover for me while I was mm -hmm. on tour or things like that. Because, you know, concerts are planned two, three years in, in advance. I had such a heavy schedule. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to do it. And so actually we didn't move to Vienna until a year later. Mm -hmm. I would fly down and, and teach, and then ever else mm -hmm. I was playing, and then mm -hmm. back to Berlin at some point. But it, it was a hard year, but I I wasn't sure. I Actually, I got the professorship a little early in my career. I was only about 40. But those positions don't come when you need them. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm -hmm. so it was now or never, and so I did it for a year to see whether I liked the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it, it wasn't so easy with the colleagues. The Vienna Philharmonic was definitely not happy that uh, that I was given the position. Uh, in fact, the, there were two positions. The first one was Professor Volbisch's position when he passed away mm -hmm. unexpectedly. 
the head of the department asked me to apply, and, and I did that. I had just been soloist with the with the Hochschule Orchestra mm-hmm. in a big concert with Horstein, the conductor. Mm-hmm. And he took me out to Japan then after that. So I was doing a lot of, really doing a lot of touring and things. But anyway, the, the first time the Philharmonic intervened and, and I didn't get the position, so which would have been the natural position for me to take over mm-hmm. my teaching. But when the second position came up, they have to make a list of three people recommendations, mm-hmm. and that goes to the ministry then. And, and at that point, they put my name in all three positions to be sure. Oh. <laughs> and I got it, but uh, I did have... It, it wasn't easy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There were some incidences which were not so pleasant. And for mm-hmm. my students also, uh, at the beginning, I could never have a, a perfect, how would you say, every member of the jury vote for mm-hmm. honors or so mm-hmm. in, a, in an exam. Was and was all of this simply because you were a woman? Basically, yes. Basically, because I wasn't a member of the Philharmonic, I guess. Oh, okay, okay. But when I was studying with Bobish, he said, it's a shame you're a girl, otherwise I could make you a member of the Philharmonic. <laughs> but instead of staying in Vienna at that time, I did go back to New York and finished mm-hmm. up my master's at Juilliard, mm-hmm. and then started working at Radio City. And had wonderful years there. That was fantastic. Okay, so here you are, an international soloist, going to finish your master's. Uh, who did you, in performance, I'm assuming, trumpet performance? It was a master of science, I believe, master of science at Juilliard. Oh, okay. There weren't any performance degrees. At okay. That. Who and did you study with? I studied with Edward Troidel. I had okay. been with him in, in the prep school. And, and yeah, at age 10, I had the scholarship to to go to Juilliard in the preparatory division. Mm-hmm. I was with him six years then before I went to the University of Miami, where I had a symphony orchestra scholarship under... Mm-hmm. Now I can't come up with my... Here, but here's what you do. You say, it's in the book, Sibisky. which means... Okay. Yeah, Fabian <laughs> who has a connection to Indianapolis. <laughs> I should know that. in Indianapolis before. Oh, okay, okay. With his harpist wife, Mary Savitsky, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then from Miami, I went to Vienna for the year, the Fulbright Scholarship, and then mm. went back to Juilliard in New York. I, I can, I guess what I'm thinking is, if I were teaching somewhere, and I had someone like you coming in who had all this experience, I would be so intimidated thinking, what on earth could I possibly do to improve? I feel like I would be inadequate as a teacher to take on. Do you see what I, where I'm coming from on that? Possibly, but yeah, from every teacher I learned, I wanted to learn from a mm-hmm. teacher. I, I, mm-hmm. I've had some students myself who, who have thought that they are, they know everything already. <laughs> and I was not that kind of student. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Troidel was a wonderful teacher, and, and he would help me to learn, like when I had to do, when I did the Al show and needed mm-hmm. a little more popular flair with vibrato or something, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he helped me work on that to, to mm-hmm. get the styling of him. And he was a very flexible teacher. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I guess that was easier too because you had you said you had already had a relationship with him as a student. Right. Yeah. So I can see where that then going to back to Juilliard really was it was not an issue. No, it was that was coming full circle in my mm-hmm. preparation for whatever the, mm-hmm. the career would be, and it, as. Well, I started, my first tour was when I was 16 to Canada as a young cornetist and basically, and so with the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. But, so I had been doing a lot of things, but on the other hand, I think too, as a girl, I always felt insignificant or the, <laughs> I'm not really good enough yet or something. I did have complexes and, mm-hmm. uh, against the big boys. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, even at Juilliard, the, when I was moved up, when I arrived back from Vienna, I had to take a, an exam for the orchestra at Juilliard. And because my exam for the orchestra was in, I guess it was in September when school started. Mm-hmm. And 
actually they were lined up. They had everybody set up for the orchestra, but then Morel put, liked my playing and put me in on fourth. Mm -hmm. And so that year I played everything that was nobody else wanted to play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. glad to have something to play. <laughs> and the next year Morel put me on first. So mm -hmm. <laughs> the guys mm -hmm. didn't like that. But <laughs> Do you recall any of the repertoire from well, those years? Laban, Le Maire, mm. uh, those were in my when I was first. <laughs> I held the label. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. On a B flat trumpet. Um, oh my goodness! If it's the B part, it's one thing. But if it's the E flat, which well, one has the E trumpet transposition? Is it the the B flat part? The B flat yeah. part is the hardest. That's yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah, goes the highest. <laughs> yeah. And my second trumpeter was always trying to push me on uh, to, to be whether I was, could be loud enough on this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, he had a wonderful career, too, and mm -hmm. we've all had good careers, so mm -hmm. I, I don't, uh, I mean, it's, those are things. But I always had complexes about not being good enough and, mm -hmm. and wanting to try to be better. And, and in fact, it's, it's strange in many ways. Now, when I start to hear other stars, and start to think, gee, I, I guess I really was pretty good. <laughs> but certainly not, you're not coming to that recognition just now. I, when did that? Pretty much, pretty much. No, really? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, here we are in the middle of today's interview. Just a reminder that support for this podcast comes from Messina Covers, who has you covered, literally, for all of your custom case needs. The Eastman Music Company, providing excellence from the professional model to the beginner model. And of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now, back to the interview. I hear you say you did your first tour at 16, going to Canada. Mm -hmm. At 16? And that, did you say when you were 10, you had gotten your scholarship to Juilliard? Yes. So at 10, you were already, obviously. Edward Franklin, Franco Goldman, all the high C's. <laughs> oh, my. That was my scholarship piece. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How old were you when you picked up the trumpet for the first time? Two and a half. <laughs> my Hoosier mother had played trombone. Uh, and my two uncles were professional trumpet players. I think I mentioned uh, one filled in for Barry Bennigan in, uh, yes. in the Howe Kemp band and took over his position. And uh, my brother was already playing. My brother is six years older than I am, and, mm -hmm. and he was a star soloist. He was really traveling with uh, Joe Basile's band around the world. He already toured California with a boys singing group, but he was the cornet soloist mm -hmm. playing. And, and he also, at 10, he was already on the, a regular on a, a New York radio show mm -hmm. broadcast uh, live, coast to coast on a bus, and, uh, <laughs> with, with live audiences and things. So I had mm -hmm. big, big shoes to step into. <laughs> yes, but that also means you were surrounded by fantastic musicians and great music, right? You yes. were hearing that from, from the beginning, yes. which I think is, is key to... I have students come in as a freshman in college, and it's, they have no knowledge of any, they've never heard anything, it feels like, that they, and I'm thinking, but how are you, this is how you're supposed to learn, is to absorb everything, immerse yourself in as much music as you can. And so I, I can understand now why as a 10-year-old, <laughs> because you hadn't been studying for a year or two, you'd been studying since you were born. You were absorbing yeah, things. Exactly, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. and... I started doing duets with my brother when I was probably about seven or eight, mm -hmm. getting stage experience. Mm -hmm. He would play Carnival of Venice with all the variations, and then I'd walk on and do... For a while, it was Osolomia, that was the first one, but then, uh, <laughs> then came a Swiss Boy, and then mm -hmm. uh, Riverdale Clark's uh, Side Partners, mm -hmm. one of our favorites. We did television shows. The Chunky Talent Show came on. <laughs> Or even the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, I did that mm -hmm. too. <laughs> These were, it was, living in the area of New York, I think yeah. was an, an advantage. Yeah. 
when my uncle had studied with Edward Coedel and my brother also had the scholarship when he was 10 to go to mm -hmm. Juilliard. And I think he only studied two years with Coedel before we, in our little town in New Jersey, Roselle, New Jersey, the band director was very active. He had a Union County band and orchestra summer school, which was mm -hmm. fantastic. And then he, he founded the Eastern Conservatory of Music. Mm -hmm. and very good teachers. And then my brother went to the star cornetist of our area. Andrews was his last name, but he was. So Ralph had a really brilliant cornet technique and mm -hmm. range and everything. So I had a lot to follow. And Ralph mm -hmm. was also the uh, cornet soloist with the Band of the Hour at the University of Miami when they mm -hmm. went to Florida, Central America. Mm -hmm. And and I was planning to go to the band, but then they kept the, the size of the scholarships for the, um, mm -hmm. for the band. Ralph was going into medical school then at that time, mm -hmm. which was an extremely expensive thing. And, and uh, the symphony orchestra was giving out full scholarships. So <laughs> I wow. ended up in the symphony orchestra, which I think sealed my fate in the, in the classical direction, which was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go on to that, I want to ask though, but when you say you started at two and a half, was that on a cornet or a trumpet? Because I can't imagine a two and a half year old being able to to I'll pick up a trumpet. Oh, okay. Wait, a slide cornet? A slide cornet, yes. I don't know whether you can see this picture here. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had I never heard it. of such a thing. A con slide cornet that my uncle bought in New York, actually from my brother, because he started mm -hmm. on it too when he was three. And my mother, being a trombonist, knew the positions and, mm -hmm. and could, was a, could teach us uh, the blowing and, mm -hmm. and that type of thing. But, I mean, my uncle paid $15 for it at a pawn shop in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have that horn? I still have it. Still oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I wish I had kept my first. It was a Bundy cornet, yeah. and I wish I still had that. It wasn't great, but still, just for nostalgia, just to say I had my first horn, I wish I had it. But Okay, so when you say... Trumpet, my first Rudy Muck. I don't know if you don't probably even know the name. Well, name. I do for mouthpieces. For mouthpieces, yes. Well, you made trumpet, trumpets and cornets, too. And we got a deal on two cornets and a trumpet, we went over to New York to pick them out, but that was mm -hmm. quite a big thing. I think that same day we were going to meet the master of the Ringling Brothers Circus, with, along with Joe Basile. The names are, <laughs> I've been away from the country mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, I had my Rudy Mutt trumpet, and I actually I played on The Tonight Show with the Rudy Mutt trumpet, the Viera and Vena Macarena. And I think Doc thought, I should maybe have a different trumpet. Of course he would. <laughs> <laughs> and he would want you to have whatever he was playing at the time. It's been wonderful. I, I yeah. had wonderful years being a clinician for them, of working with the people around the country. They're yeah. And, the, and the, the, I think it was such a worthwhile type of playing to be trying to encourage other people and mm -hmm. to, to show what could be done. and. Mm -hmm. uh, because later on, professional, you don't have that kind of contact mm -hmm. with orchestra members in general. I, when I travel, I got to know a few of the brass players or a few of the trumpeters, but mm -hmm. generally not uh, um, many of the young people. They'd come up sometimes, but you, I mm -hmm. didn't really have a chance to talk mm -hmm. to them unless I was going to a mission in Japan. It was half planned by uh, the agency and mm -hmm. gets in the dealers out there really got some things going, so more out there. And I'm going to ask a question, but I want to say I certainly don't mean this uh, in an insensitive way. But did you ever feel like you were a novelty because okay. you were a female trumpet player? Always a novelty. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, and as a novelty, I would have had it. I did have it easier in television. Mm. I mean, that was this. But as a novelty, I did not have it easier in classical, making mm -hmm. interest in orchestras. And, mm -hmm. and in uh, Europe, 
almost all the orchestra positions, the first trumpet is not the first trumpet, he's the solo trumpeter. Mm-hmm. And so when we, my husband would write out letters and, uh, to various orchestras and say she does the solos and things, and they said, oh, we already, we have our solo trumpeter. <laughs> but I did enough television shows in Germany and the marvelous thing about being in Germany, there were so many orchestras. So many small towns had orchestras. Mm-hmm. And they were all good. They were all good and they were appreciative. They loved good music, played well. And so I had a fabulous career. And from Berlin, I could be in almost any major city in mm-hmm. within an hour flying time. Mm-hmm. And we were only seven minutes from the airport. And then at that time, there were no security mm-hmm. checks or anything to mm-hmm. tie you up. I could be there half hour before the plane mm-hmm. took off or... And, and get on and, and just no hang-ups or anything. In fact, they right. knew me pretty well in Berlin. But that was a marvelous, it was the best choice I made. It wasn't an easy choice to make because I, I loved New York. It was my home area type. And I loved Radio City. I had worked there for five years. and. And I was able to continue soloing. That was the mm-hmm. wonderful thing, because with four or five shows a day and seven days a week, they needed a turnover. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was a regular substitute there. Mm-hmm. And I had to jump in sometimes on the first, sometimes on the third, which I didn't like, because that was the jazz chair. But <laughs> the only once did I have to do an improvised solo, which I wrote out ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, I, I just loved that. But at some point, I, I thought, what's, am I going to stay here forever? Or what's going to happen? Do I want to try for another step? And basically, I was getting prepared to go into the Broadway musical Sugar. That was oh. like at Hot. Mm-hmm. Our champion was the uh, uh, director, and Jules Stein was writing the music. Mm-hmm. And... So I auditioned for that and was lined up for that, taking singing and dancing lessons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were going to be on stage. Yes, yes. This was not a pit job. No, this was on stage. Uh, this okay. would have been on stage. And uh, so, yeah, I was preparing for that. And I went to Berlin for what I thought was going to be basically my my last chance to tour <laughs> or anything for a while, for at least several years until the show was slowing down. And then, strangely enough, they ran into some complications with the show, so that was going to be delayed. We were supposed to start in October, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't start. And in Berlin, I met I also met a public relations man who was doing a lot, and he was so enthusiastic and what he thought he would be able to do. It ended up the, that he did most of it at that time when I was in Berlin, but at least mm-hmm. it gave me the enthusiasm enough to, to really take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to New York and sent my furniture to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) But I kept the apartment. I did keep Mm -hmm. the apartment Mm -hmm. for a year just to be sure I had some place to go back to. Mm -hmm. And now I wish I'd kept it. It My rent was $79 a month for (laughs) (laughs) for a single room. But it was a nice West 79th Street by the planetarium. Oh, my goodness. Museum of Natural History. So yeah. It was a lovely location. <laughs> and I could practice there. <laughs> yeah. So how was your German when you first got to Berlin? I had, having studied in Vienna, uh, I mean, I'd had one year of it in a German-speaking country already as a student. And I, my German, I started in my freshman year of college because with my name Reinhardt. Oh, okay. I wondered about that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had studied Latin, but we didn't have German in high school when I went. My brother actually did have German in high school and had very good teachers, and he, he was the German honor society in college. <laughs> oh. But I started and as a freshman taking German, and one of the problems was that I was playing in the faculty quintet, class quintet, and we had school concerts every Thursday morning, mm-hmm. and that was when my German class was. And we talked to my teacher, and she said if I could pass the exams, and I would be there on mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday class, 
she would she'd let let me get past. So I passed mm-hmm. all the exams. I had B's, but of course, a lot of that grammar <laughs> was missing when I sure <laughs> got around to trying to to speak it. I could read it pretty well and mm-hmm. understand pretty well, mm-hmm. but speaking was very difficult. But mm-hmm. um, eventually, in that year in Vienna, and the the problem in Vienna is almost everybody has more English than anybody else has German. So. <laughs> So you start speaking German, and they make it. Oh, they're so glad to speak English. Practice <laughs> their English, and, mm-hmm. and so it, it was. It wasn't so easy to learn German, but mm-hmm. uh, I eventually have improved. And mm-hmm. if if I don't think too much, I'm all right. But once I start to figure out what they're doing, right? <laughs> then it gets very confusing, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my students and my friends are all very uh, uh, very patient with me. No, I can say everything I can. Yeah. My husband now that he's retired, he was a big band trumpet player and mm-hmm. and band leader in the end, doing the Harry James things. Oh yeah. Uh, he's given up on the trumpet, <laughs> so he's now working on his Italian. He talks to a I call mm. it his girlfriend in uh, <laughs> Italy, you know, now we're Skyping or Zooming right. or FaceTime. Right. Uh, he can be in touch with the whole world. So he's doing very well with Italian and he's brushing up on French, which we both mm-hmm. had taken when I was doing a lot of playing in France mm-hmm. or at the French part of Switzerland. Mine has rusted out a bit on the French, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. this is picking up again. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's good. I think it's also important when you getting my age to be using your brain in, mm-hmm. in some ways. To not- my age too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm realizing that I'm not as sharp as, as I used to be. And I wasn't that sharp to begin with. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, a little self-deprecating there. But, so, Which university are you at? Or- I, I teach at the University of Indianapolis. Uh-huh, okay. And I'm adjunct. Been there for going on 13, 14 years, I think teaching adjunct but it's been great provided a lot of opportunities i've hosted some trumpet conferences there rex richardson doc severinson ronnie rom have been some of my guests and it's been great and in fact that's all helped me get into this realizing that doc is a regular guy and rex is a regular guy and i can talk to them and that honestly was a, a little bit of what steered me towards starting to do interviews is Everybody's so easy to talk to. Everybody has something to share. Everybody has a story. And uh, even though they don't think so, I've had a couple of guests who are like, you don't want to talk to me. I don't have anything to say. And then I finally get them in an interview and they won't shut up. (laughs) 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 Which is great. That's what I want. But I can say I knew Doc Wynn. Because he, yeah. he was still the trumpeter, the lead trumpeter in the Tonight yeah. Show band. And, uh, and we used to, well, when somebody from Getson came to town, we could all go out, go out for dinner together because I was right across the street at Radio mm-hmm. City. And, uh, or I'd see him, the guys would come down in the, uh, there's a drugstore counter where you could get a sandwich during the breaks or something. Mm-hmm. You'd see Snooky Young and, and uh, Park Terry and those guys mm-hmm. down there. It was a great time to be in New York and be, be playing. Mm-hmm. But I'll probably be the only one of your uh, interviewees who actually played for Paul Whiteman. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what, what was that opportunity? What? How did that come <laughs> about? A talent show out of Philadelphia years ago, and my brother was—he was the star—and then. Mm-hmm. They did let me play on one of the shows as do you know a follow up with my brother mm-hmm. and on tour for my brother. So what we did Swiss Boy, so that was the variations. Uh-huh. And <laughs> we I still have a recording of that. Uh, Is it published anywhere? Have you got have you got that out? No, that recording. Uh, I have it. I, I'll see whether whether I can send it to you. I, it's, it's, it's oh, I think that would be a hoot to hear that. <laughs> wow. That I think that and will I distinguish you from anybody. Eight, I don't know. What, I, probably about eight. Yeah. Know. 
I do remember the shows, <laughs> and I do remember meeting him, and he was very nice and very friendly and talking mm -hmm. about his family in Indiana. I think his mother played piano, and, and, and I mean, how families do the music as entertainment. Mm -hmm. before, that's mm -hmm. all before uh, television. And things. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, so. Wow. Uh, We've skirted around it a little bit, but the significance that, like Abby Conant, I, when I remember talking to Abby and about mm -hmm. how, and you talk about trials, <laughs> that, and you may have experienced the same thing, but what she had done for women in orchestra and to battle the way she did. And did you know, of course you knew. But I, I guess maybe the question is, what was that like as you were making your way into this career? Was, were you feeling pressure, not just from like people in Vienna, were you feeling pressure from producers or other soloists, some of your colleagues, or was there encouragement somewhere along the way? Who was well, Generally, I think there was more encouragement, or at least I'm a very optimistic person and I very active in the Salvation Army, and I mm -hmm. believed and found that God would have a place for me. Mm -hmm. I had no idea where it was going to be, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of doors closed pretty much in my face. But somehow I, I never let that bother me. I said, oh, something better is coming, and, and that's the way it happened. I mean, it was basically pretty much the same with, okay, television I could do, but I could see the limitations there on mm -hmm. <laughs> aging or whatever. And also the style of music was changing signs already. But, but going into the classical field, I think that was a major thing. And sometimes, like, I, the funny thing is some of the reviews at the beginning, one said, you know, she plays very well, the Haydn concerto or something. But, of course, her tone can't be as big and full as Maurice Andre's tone. But the strange thing was, Maurice Andre played that on the E-flat trumpet, and I was playing on a B-flat trumpet. So <laughs> the sound had to be bigger, mm -hmm. no matter how, whatever sound I had, it just mm -hmm. had to be bigger. So it was dealing with those things sometimes mm -hmm. from critics. But most of the conductors liked me playing very much and wanted me regularly, mm -hmm. which was, was fun. And the radio station, I had good relationships with the radio stations mm -hmm. and, and whenever they had TV shows or special things going on, that mm -hmm. they always seemed to need a trumpeters, <laughs> needed mm -hmm. something different, mm -hmm. a novelty. Mm -hmm. So, but I, as a novelty, I was always very careful that whatever I did had a certain evil. I did not want to just do something silly or something right. that didn't fit, that I didn't feel had quality. Mm -hmm. I, I turned down a lot of things too. I also turned down a lot of world premieres because I didn't particularly like the music. I did probably about 30 world premieres in the year. They're not easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, mm -hmm. I felt the music was worthwhile and other things I, I turned down in spite of the composer writing for my beautiful sound. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. it, uh, that's not enough. It's got, there's got to be more there yeah. than the yeah. sound. <laughs> I don't know. To me, the sound is everything. Yeah, yeah but just... in the composition, you want to have nice ways to show it off, a yes. melody, or, yeah. or and the, the technique should have some kind of uh, reason to be so difficult. If it, it, I've done really, I did Cholave on the B flat trumpet, memorized <laughs> it the first time. I mean, the first mm -hmm. time I ever played it was in Vienna and was at Trines, this hall with the Prague Chamber Orchestra without a conductor. So mm -hmm. I had to, and I was had it memorized and I had to go down to Italy for the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And then we had one dress rehearsal in the end mm -hmm. and we played Jolive. But I, I did the work to get to learn when I felt there was it was worthwhile learning and, and playing it then, mm -hmm. then <laughs> I put in the effort. Mm -hmm. And something else that I thought, no matter how much work I put into this, I'm never going to like the piece. So, or, or anything about the piece at any place. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah. did you memorize all of your solo repertoire? Yes. I, it still blows my mind that, that soloists can do that. And I think it's expected that a solo violinist or solo pianist Who is going to memorize. Pardon me? 
who has many, they have many more notes than we have. <laughs> yes, it, but still, but and I see the freedom though it gives you when you come onto stage because, well, you can connect with your audience. If you choose to look them in the eye, you can, but so I, but just boatloads of respect for those that can do that. Memorization has never been a strong point for me. So I, I really. It's hardly ever demanded, on, which is unfortunate. But my father was not a, not a musician. He loved music and mm -hmm. he drove us all over the place to play programs here and, mm -hmm. and whatever church banquets, Masonic things, any place there was something going on, mm -hmm. uh, we were lined up to play in the show. <laughs> and, uh, but he said, no, you have to learn everything from memory. It's, that's expected. You have to have a mm -hmm. high ending. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that from the standpoint of he, he demanded that of us, he demanded perfection. Mm -hmm. And if we missed a note in the concert, then we'd have to practice two hours a day instead of one hour a day. So mm -hmm. I learned it was easier to play perfect in a concert than, than have to play two hours a day with him listening. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was his idea. And I guess hearing so much music and if you're just doing it all the time, starting mm -hmm. with Otola Mio pretty soon. Sure. <laughs> that sure. doesn't take long to memorize and you yeah. Joe Levay did take me a, a while because working it out as transposing first mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, really getting and then I not only had to know the trumpet part I really I recorded it I, I think I played it in about March or April in Vienna and I recorded it in Berlin with a pianist at, uh, in October early October mm -hmm. so that I would have that uh, recording to play with uh, to get the, the um, orchestra part. Because mm -hmm. without a conductor, uh, no entrances. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. I really had to know the, the accompaniment as, as sure. well as my, my uh, trumpet mm -hmm. section of it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was always good at memorizing. And it, but there were from time to time little slips, but, but usually they were always in the pretty much in the same key. in the same harmony or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it, I always thought it looked better. And the funny thing was when we happened to see a performance of Maurice Andre on television doing Haydn's concerto. And, and okay, it was probably playback, but it was in out in the garden someplace. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he bent down and, and changed the page. I thought, good heavens. Wow. <laughs> it's not even a live concert. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe they wanted to, it to look like real, but I, right. I thought, and Haydn, is, is, there's no tricky things. This right. had, uh, had a few entrances where you think, now's my, no, one more yep, minute. Yeah, yeah. But and I laughed about that. I thought, gee, boo. <laughs> But yeah, I encourage my students to learn from memory. Mm -hmm. But of course, if it's not required in a competition, then they don't bother right. doing it. And most of them do. They can play solos, mm -hmm. but uh, I have a few who have continued on with with um, a solo career in a small fashion. Mm -hmm. but, Speaking of soloists, Tina, I, I have become enamored with her playing. And you had mentioned, I think, in some of our emails before this, that you had judged her in a competition. Yes, that's the Eurovision Young Musician of the Year. Mm -hmm. um, I was connected with that competition also about 10, 15 years. For the Eurovision is the European, all of the European mm -hmm. uh, television stations. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a wonderful thing. I don't think it's... A, it's not in that form, the form that it used to be, where yeah. a country would host it and, and soloists from each country would come and there'd mm -hmm. be a whole week of, of competition. And, mm -hmm. and, and I guess in the case of Tina, I only I was only in the final, in the final judging session, mm -hmm. but she played wonderfully. And it happened to be a spectacular concert. It was one of the opening of the Vienna Festival in front mm -hmm. of the uh, City Hall in Vienna. Mm -hmm. And I think they average between eighty and a hundred thousand people. <laughs> oh my goodness! There, yeah, 
and at the end, then the orchestra went into a Venus waltz, and the whole whole uh, area in front of mm-hmm. the city hall just is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did talk to uh, Tina afterwards, and, and uh, she did very well. It's a competition where you're not trumpeter against trumpeter. Each country mm-hmm. sends an instrument, right. an, an instrumentalist, and so it's not an easy competition to judge. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a cellist who won that year. But yeah, it, it's always a disadvantage for the brass players in competition <laughs> of this sort because you miss one note and, and it's a catastrophe. But And then the other pianists and, and violinists always seem to have a lot more impressive notes to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ours mm-hmm. may be harder, but anyway, but she did a beautiful job on the mm-hmm. Haydn Concerto in the competition. And, and so I was glad, and, and as I said, mentioned also that she came to Vienna with her some of her friends mm-hmm. and starting the, these groups of now she has a girls ensemble mm-hmm. which I have heard live and they were spectacular yeah yeah so speaking yeah. well and I'm thinking groups around you of course nozzle is mm-hmm. close by uh, and they did a live note seal they did a, a live concert on Facebook a couple of days ago I didn't know uh, oh. If you were aware of that, they, but I think of I'm course. I'm not on would. Facebook, but Tom okay. is doing concerts again. He did home concerts for a while. But. They got together for just this one big deal, and that was it. I think he's going to go back to doing his home concerts next month. In uh, October, they're supposed to have a new show here mm-hmm. uh, opening in, in Vienna. And yeah, three of this, three or four. They were in my orchestra. I was that I conducted at the. Oh, no kidding! <laughs> <laughs> and would you believe Thomas? I shouldn't say this. No, please do. <laughs> he missed the high C on the end of the piece we were doing for a concert. <laughs> He's only human. But he hasn't missed a high C. I don't think since then. <laughs> no, spectacular players. I got to interview Robert a month or so ago, Robert Rother. Robert is the, I saw the other, yeah, he's the one I know the least, because uh-huh. uh, Thomas and Leonard Powell was the bane to my existence. In the <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a troublemaker, he yeah. does. <laughs> well, we, it was, the they called it Orchestra One, and it was a repertoire class, basically, mm-hmm. and... But I tried to make it more interesting because you, you never feel complete. I was pulling up works, okay, Moldau and, and Pines of Rome. I was trying to get some brassy things in there that I had enjoyed playing in the, my career. And that year, there happened to be six trombones. And uh, Leonard didn't want to have to come every week. He said, I should have my part of my own. If there are going to be two of us, then I could stay home. <laughs> but, but you've got to learn the repertoire. and. The first half of the session, I did repertoire, and the second half, I did band things. Mm-hmm. And we did concerts. We played old people's homes in the hospitals mm-hmm. and in the city parks. And, and mm-hmm. I always had a concert every semester. And usually, they even got money from it because mm-hmm. they were sponsored by the city or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he, he was a terror, and he, he just didn't want to be there. But the funny thing was, I was in Rome in the, the competition in the jury for I mean, at the Fantini competition from um, Giuliano Sommerhalder. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Gonch happened to be in the in the jury also and was sitting next to me and, and he said, why did you ever come to our no-tail concerts? And I said, I'm not a great fan of Leonard. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and that was in April. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in October, I was getting ready to go to the university, and Leonard was at our door. <laughs> and uh, and he said, may I come in for a minute? And he apologized 30 oh, years nice. later. <laughs> well, that's he wonderful, though. I was though. so dumb then. <laughs> so now he's my favorite student. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I guess there were four of them, and the, the other trombone player, not the Hungarian, and then Willy Bronstetter, the mm-hmm. two the, the four of them were in the, my, my orchestra. Well, how about that? And, uh, <laughs> and we always did fashion concerts in, in the music for Heinz for mm-hmm. the university, and, mm-hmm. and, and Thomas. Actually, the high C was not written, but he'd done it during the rehearsals, and I, I let him do it, and then he really didn't go for it. I was so furious with him. I said... <laughs> 
you know, you if you're going for it, go for it. Mm -hmm. But you mm -hmm. just, I could hear he just wasn't trying for it. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, yeah. since then, he hasn't missed a single high C. <laughs> you said you got your doctorate in 2009. You finished your doctorate. Yes. Mm -hmm. In education or trumpet? Or again, was it just a, a no, science? PhD. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I said I was probably the happiest person uh, getting a diploma there. All the kids and me. But I started a flood too at our university that was some of the other professors, mm -hmm. usually foreign professors, started mm -hmm. getting working for their PhDs also. So. <laughs> this has been an absolute treat for me. And my, my face is hurting from smiling <laughs> so much <laughs> through this. And I love that you mentioned your book. I love that you mentioned the CD. Not just thank you for the time today, but thank you for everything you've contributed to the musical world. And I think we're all better for that. So thank you very much. You're and, very welcome. Thank you for remembering me. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's refreshing for me to you know this is your this was your life or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is. Not was, but is. But again, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon there. And thank you. please give my very best greetings to Tina. I will. <laughs> so, yeah. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Bis zum nächsten Mal. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Until next time. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you again. Okay. I'll be the same. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Tune in next week for another great interview. And one last reminder that you can help support this podcast by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studiohfl. Your support would be most appreciated. And another special thanks to Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and Pickett Blackburn for their support of this podcast. Thanks again. Now, go practice.